Fantastic. You, you'll be pleased to know I've got a clock with me for this session. So I'm going to try and land very close to 12.30 um, and then we'll land in some prayer ministry after that. But for those that need to dash, we'll, we'll, try, and, we'll try and do that. Um, so back to the city on a, on a hill theme of, of what does it mean for us to send the hill of the Lord? I, I kind of want to focus in on that um, by sharing some reflections about new wine and new wineskins. But let me open up with the story. And, and I think this story frames not just this message, but again, maybe frames some of the, the cultural moment that, that we're experiencing right now. So um, I'm married to B. We've got three kids, Ben's, Josh, Olive, 14, 12, 10. Um, a number of years ago, so this isn't recent, but a number of years ago, we had this routine that we went through every single night where probably you know, two or three in the morning, I'd hear this voice and the voice would go something like this, daddy, daddy. And, and I did what any loving parent would do. I tried to ignore that voice. Um, but the, the voice would continue like, daddy, daddy. So I tried rebuking that voice in the name of Jesus. Um, and, and that didn't work either. And eventually my wife would sort of elbow me and would say, you need to go. One of the kids is calling you. So I'd, I'd rush upstairs and one of the kids would be having a nightmare. So I'd sort of like, you know, listen to them. And they'd, they'd say normally something like this. Dad, dad, I think there's monsters under the bed. I think there's monsters under the bed. So I'd check under the bed because you never know. Um, I'd have a quick, quick look under the bed and be like, no, 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 there's... There's no monsters under the bed. Or they'd say, look, there's a, there's a shadowy figure in the corner. And it might have been an item of clothing that was casting a shadow or a teddy that was casting a shadow. And I'd remove, you know, the item and say, look, no, 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 there's nothing there. Or they'd say, look, Dad, I think there's a fox in the house. So we've got a problem with urban foxes that jump over the wall of our garden and sort of come into the garden. And they and I hate these foxes. Um, so they'd be like, Dad, Dad, I think there's a fox in the house. And I'd regularly say, no, 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 there's only one fox in this house and that's your mum and she's fast asleep right now so um like no no no, there's no other foxes in the house you're absolutely safe um um, and and then I would eventually get into bed with them um and I'd lie down with them I would hold them and I'd say that I really love them and we'd both fall asleep and then wake up at daylight that, that for probably a period of like five plus years would happen pretty much every single night. And I think I learned something really significant in that period, um, that there is an antidote to fear, particularly when it comes to fear of the dark. And that antidote isn't just the arrival of daylight. I think we are culturally speaking praying for daylight, the inbreaking of light, the inbreaking of God's kingdom. But, but there is an antidote to fear of the dark and it isn't just the arrival of daylight, it's the presence of the Father in the midst of the darkness. And it seems to me that whenever I travel, and I don't travel that much, but when I'm in rooms like this morning and I'm thinking, wow, it feels like the Spirit's doing something similar to what he's doing, you know, back in London. And when I visited, you know, the US and and seeing the Spirit of God moving there, I'm like, wow, that feels pretty similar too. It feels like we're living in days where a spiritual hunger is growing in the church and, and a greater manifestation of the presence of God in the room. Like, it just seems that that's a consistent theme. Like, we're encountering an increased sense of the presence of the Father, and that should really excite us. So I, I, I kind of want to name, essentially, a, a bit of a, an experience I've had um, in the first part of this year, which is I got the opportunity to visit Kentucky, um, this tiny town called Wilmore in Kentucky, a university there called Asbury University, 
Some of you might have known or heard of what's happened at Asby. Most in the room, I'm guessing, will have no idea. So let me share some of the story. There's a, a university um, in Wilmore. It's this honestly tiny, tiny town, and the university is the main thing in this town. It's a Christian university where on February the 8th this year, there was a compulsory chapel service. So all these students forced to go to this chapel meeting, and the chapel meeting was apparently totally unspectacular. The guy who preached at the chapel meeting Meeting, said he had a howler. You know, when you preach and it just doesn't land in the room, it was one of those moments. Apparently, at the end of it, he picked up his phone and said to his wife, it really didn't go well. Can you put some fried food in the oven? Like, I, I, I need some comfort, like chicken, whatever you got, just put it in the oven. Um, so at the end of this meeting that was unspectacular, 19 students didn't want to leave the, the chapel room. And they went to the front, to the altar, um, and in a moment of desperation said, Lord, we're so hungry for your presence, we're not leaving until you come. And the presence of God landed heavy in the room. So much so that a few hours later, rumours started to spread around the university of like, something's happening at the chapel. So people started heading back to the chapel, sort of like, twos and threes, and then dozens, and then hundreds. And before long, you've got this um, auditorium called the Hughes Auditorium, which is a cracking name for an auditorium, um, that was rammed with people. And what was meant to be a one-hour chapel service became a 16-day, 24-7 gathering of people hungry to encounter the presence of God. Right, It, it got to the point where Thousands of people started flying in from all over the world. Um, Stats suggest that maybe 100,000 people descended upon this town. Like, because it was a small town, it didn't have the infrastructure for that, so the police had to get involved. They had to close roads. It was getting to the point where they're like, we don't know how to cope. The hunger to be in this room to encounter the presence of God meant the whole town were talking about it. So when I arrived, I spent three or four days at this outpouring. Um, There were students, university students, right, dragging mattresses into the auditorium because they didn't even want to go home to their rooms to sleep. They were so hungry for the presence of God that they didn't want to miss a moment. You've maybe heard of FOMO, fear of missing out. They're like, we can't afford to miss out on the presence of God. Nothing trumps the presence of God. We need to sleep in the auditorium. There were students basically um, packing three meals in the morning to come to the auditorium because they didn't even want to step outside of the auditorium to have a snack to eat. They were so hungry for the presence of God, right? I, I'm not sure I've experienced anything like it. Like I flew, got to the university, hired a car, drove to this town with a sense of expectation. I walk into the room, I'm both fully, fully underwhelmed and simultaneously fully, fully overwhelmed. I'm underwhelmed because I walk into a room, it's bigger than this with a wraparound balcony, um, but there were no visuals on the screen. There was no light show, no smoke machine, believe it or not, right? and. And the band that were playing weren't phenomenal musicians. They were like 19, 20-year-olds. Like, in terms of learning their craft as musicians, let alone worship leaders, they're at the beginning of that. Like, it sounded pretty ropey at times. And, and the preaching, it was unspectacular. You know, in terms of human metrics, like, you look around the room, you're like, there's, there's nothing extraordinary. So why is this room rammed? And why is there a queue for six hours to get into the room? And then you realized the only spectacular thing about what's happening in this room is the presence of God. 
and, and the hunger for it is off the chart. Fully, fully off the chart. Now, it started to spread around Christian universities, like around the US. Like people were like, you know, zooming in and like trying to do their kind of casts so they can, like, can watch what was happening. And then these outbreaks were happening all around the US. And, and we began to experience some of it in the UK and talking to pastors in different parts of the world, here in South Africa, Australia, like different contexts. People are like, we're experiencing the same thing. It might not be everything that they saw at Asbury, but it's something. We're seeing a greater spiritual hunger in the room when we gather, a, de- a greater desperation for the presence, and we're experiencing an increase in the sense of the manifest presence of God in the room when we come together to praise him. This should be incredibly exciting. Now, the way I'd articulate it is I think we're experiencing a season shift in the church. So listen to these words. This is a passage I've been coming back to, Song of Songs. Um, My beloved spoke to me. And what if this was the father saying this to the church in Cape Town? Arise, my darling, my beautiful one, come with me. See, the winter is past, the rains are gone and over. Flowers appear on the earth, the season of singing has come, the cooing of doves is heard in our land, the fig tree forms its early fruit, the blossoming vines spread their fragrance. Arise, come, my darling, my beautiful one, come with me. What, what if we were seeing in the church right now, not just in Wilmore in Kentucky, but what if this was like happening across the board, a season shift where winter is turning to spring? Like, or to shift the metaphor, what if the darkness was giving way to light? What if the dawn was beginning to break and a fresh wave of the kingdom was breaking in upon us, right? Or to switch metaphor one more time, what if the wilderness was breaking out into abundance? Like, we've been experienced, COVID, post-COVID, we've experienced a great wilderness. Like, we have experienced a winter, you know, and maybe springs upon us. And and biblically speaking, because this is a biblical metaphor that comes through the prophets, when there's a transition from winter to spring, what marks the transition? The answer is the spring rains. Now, the spring rains are a manifestation of the, the presence of God. There's a gentleness to it, right? And the presence just begins to soften the ground and prepare the ground for a season of abundance. What if we were experiencing the church, experiencing in the church right now spring rains that were preparing the church for a season of abundance? What if there was a season shift happening right now? What if we could open our eyes and see that the new thing um, is, is breaking in upon us? So I want to articulate this shift from winter, spring, darkness, dawn breaking, wilderness bursting out in abundance. So let me just try and sort of articulate, biblically speaking, what the wilderness looks like, feels like. I'm going to use some um, language from the, the prophets. This is Joel chapter 1. The fields are ruined. This, this is what the desert place, the wilderness place feels like. And, and I'm sure you can relate to this in terms of this spiritual experience that we've, we've had over the last number of years. The fields are ruined, the ground is dried up, the grain is destroyed, new wine is dried up, the olive oil fails. Despair, you farmers, wail, you vine growers. Grieve for the wheat and the barley because the harvest of the field is destroyed. The vine is dried up, the fig tree is withered, the pomegranate, the palm and the apple tree, all the trees of the field are dried up. Surely the people's joy is withered away. Like the prophetic image here that summarizes the wilderness moment is that there's no wine. 
I can see panic in people's faces. Like, no wine? What, what, do, you, what do you mean, no, no wine? Like, th- this, this is basically a picture of desolation. And the summary would be, there is no wine. Let's look at a few other passages then. Isaiah says something similar, that a 10-acre vineyard will produce only a bath of wine. A homer of sealed, will, seed will yield only an ephah of grain. Summary is that there's no... Wine. The answer is always going to be wine. If, if you want to participate, just say, oh, we're going to do this a bit. And the answer is always going to be wine, just in case you want to be involved. Right? Let's look at Jeremiah chapter 8. I'll take away their harvest, declares the Lord. There'll be no grapes on the vine. There'll be no figs on the tree. And their leaves will wither. What I have given them will be taken away from them. The summary is that there will be no... Right? It, it's a picture of absence. Right? And we've been living in days that have felt spiritually like that. I would say that the last season, at least for us in the context of London, at least for me as a pastor, it's felt like we've been learning to be faithful in adversity. Like doing church in COVID and, and COVID recovery, it's like, do you know what? These are hard yards. Like we, we've just got to, we've got to be faithful in a moment like this. This is, this is a tough time for the church. We need to learn how to be faithful in the midst of adversity. But on my darker days, what it actually felt like was surviving scarcity. Like we were trying to be faithful in adversity, but on darker days, honestly, it felt like we just got to get through this, surviving scarcity. Sometimes the wilderness, even though you know it's the place of formation, there are moments where you're like, do you know what? This is brutal. This is surviving scarcity. And I guess what I, I want to say is, is what if we're moving from that survival mindset into something different? So what happens when the spirit of God moves and the spring rains begin to fall and the wilderness becomes a place of abundance? So listen to these prophecies from, from the same prophetic figures. Joel chapter 3, in that day the mountains will drip with... Can I hear an amen? Like new wine, mountains flowing with new wine and the hills will flow with milk. All the ravines of Judah will run with water. A fountain will flow out of the Lord's house and will water all the valleys. Amos chapter nine, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when the reaper will be overtaken by the plowman and the planter by the one treading grapes. In other words, there'll be so much abundance, people will be sowing and reaping simultaneously. Right? It won't be let's do one and then wait and let's do the other. There'll be so much life. People will be sowing and reaping simultaneously. New wine will drip from the mountains. Listen to the language here. Like, new wine's like flowing. This is abundance, like dripping from the mountains and flow from all the hills. And I'll bring my people back from exile. They will we'll rebuild the ruined cities and live in them. They'll plant vineyards and drink their wine they will make gardens and eat their fruit so what if we're experiencing something of this as the spirit moves in a fresh way what if we're moving from surviving scarcity to stewarding abundance like what if that's what we've got to get ready for right now and and honestly I feel like in the context of of KXC this shift is happening pretty quickly I feel like I've moved from this is brutal, like we're just trying to like grip on, hold on, survive, to now it, it's, a, it's a new thing. There's, there's life breaking out everywhere. We can't fit in our buildings. There's so many people coming to faith. We're regularly getting these encounters, as I articulated earlier, where people are coming and saying the scripts don't work. The scripts
scripts don't work. Is there a better story? Like, yeah, there is a better story. Can we introduce you to the person of Jesus and the story of his, his kingdom? What if we as the church need to pivot, which is the language we were always using in COVID? What if we need to pivot and get ready for a season where we're learning to steward abundance? So this is the transition that maybe we need to make. Like there is spring rain. Can you feel it? Are you sensing that shift here at Signal where just like gentleness, maybe not in breaking of loads of signs and wonders, but gentleness, spring rain? Like I grew up, I, I was born in the late 70s, grew up in the 80s. In the context of the UK, we experienced the charismatic renewal movement which essentially was people like Wimber sort of doing some conferences in the UK. Um, and suddenly this move of the spirit hit the church in the UK and actually transformed the spiritual landscape of, of our nation, particularly the church. So I was at gatherings, you know, where Wimber and others were teaching and I saw the spirit of God land in power. Now, when you see this as a child, it shapes the imagination, right? It was, it was normal for me to be in conference environments, festival environments, church environments, where people were shaking uncontrollably under the power of God. Like as a nine-year-old, it didn't freak me out anymore because it's like that happens all the time. You know, or, or hearing people laugh in the spirit. And you're like, what's funny? I oh, it's the spirit. Okay, that's fine. Or, or hearing people scream as they were set free from demonic oppression. Like I would go to gatherings where there'd be a sea of bodies on the floor, people that had been slain in the spirit, and I'd have a friend from school, you know, hanging out, and we'd be walking to try and find mum and dad, like stepping over bodies, and, and, and just saying to my mate, don't worry, it's the spirit of God, they've been hit by the power of God, let's just find mum and dad and get some money for the touch shop. You know, it, it was that kind of moment, right? So I, I've seen the spirit of God move in power, that shaped my imagination. So when I went to Kentucky, I, I, I think I was expecting more of the same, but I think this fresh move of the spirit feels different to me. If the charismatic renewal movement of the 80s, 90s, like the Toronto movement, that kind of shaped the vineyard of many church movements, if that was the church rediscovering the power of the spirit, this moment feels like the church reprioritizing the presence of the Father and the presence of Jesus. Like I think power will follow because power tends to follow the presence. But right now, these are spring rains that are primarily about presence. Are you willing to learn to host the presence of Jesus? Um, so there are spring rains. New wine is being poured out. Like, I genuinely believe this. I've, I've seen it. I've tasted it. Like, new wine is being poured out. And I know, because I've read the Gospels, that new wine needs new wineskins right? That, that Jesus says, you, you don't put new wine into old wineskins. It destroys the wineskins. It destroys the wine. New wine needs new wineskins. So there will be a new way of being and doing church for this new season. Like some of the levers we've been pulling, expecting results in the new season, we'll pull the lever and be like, nothing's happening because God isn't formulaic and he's doing a new thing. And we'll be like, okay, how do we operate in this new landscape? How do we create new containers for the new wine? I don't know fully what the new wineskins will look like. I certainly don't know what they'll look like in the context of South Africa and the context of, of Cape Town. So this isn't me saying, here's what the new wineskin's going to look like. But can I share some of what I've experienced and what I sense might be some of the new priorities of this season? like values of this season of, of what the Spirit's doing. Um, so number one, um, consecration is really important. Like we really want to ascend the hill of the Lord, don't we? 
This is Psalm 24. We really want to send the hill of the Lord. I think the church is waking up to the realization that if you want the presence, then you need clean hands and a pure heart. Like, without that, you can only get so far up the mountain. And then essentially God says, no, if, if you really want to send the hill of the Lord, you need clean hands and a pure heart. So one of the things that happened at Asbury that was fascinating, um, <clears throat> imagine a chapel service that just doesn't end and a worship band who've played every single song they know how to play. And after like 30 minutes, they're like, we're spent. Like a- a- anyone else want, want to go? Um, so what happened is they would begin to do shifts of, of leading worship where a band would do like 45 minutes, exhaust themselves, and then another group said, oh, we'll take over. It got to the point where they were prophesying over people in the room, like, I sent you a worship leader. Yeah, come to the front, we need you right now. Genuinely, this was happening in the room. So people were coming up to the front. A couple of days into this move of the Spirit, they were like, do you know what? For us to sustain what's happening, like, one of the priorities of what the Lord is doing is consecration. We have to be right with God. So they basically took what would otherwise known, be known as the green room, the vestry maybe. If you, go, if you go to Christian festivals, there's often a green room with some snacks and drinks for the VIPs, you know, the drill. And they're like, we don't, we don't, we don't want the green room. How bizarre that churches have been leaning into green rooms where there's VIPs with special treatment. Like, how crazy is that? It's nuts. But they're like, we need a consecration room. And before anyone stepped on stage, a worship leader, someone doing prayers, someone sharing a short biblical reflection, they'd spend half an hour in the consecration room. And in the consecration room, they were confessing all of their sins. And there'd be some intercessors and some prophets in the room, right, just praying over them. These young people were like getting right with God. I need clean hands. I need a pure heart. They were just confessing all their sins. So by the time they left the consecration room and stepped onto the stage, they were radiating with the glory of God. Like, it it was extraordinary, the purity of their hearts. And every so often, one of the musicians would be like, do you know what, there's something going on. I need to go back into the consecration room. No one was saying, no, you can't. We need you on the keys. We need you on the keys. It's like, no, everyone recognized being right with God is way more important than musical excellence, right? So the purity of the worship was extraordinary. What you had was all these American, you know, like, Big shots in the music industry, um, like traveling, saying, look, do you want us to come and lead worship at like Kentucky at Asbury University? We're happy to come and lead you guys. We've been watching on the live stream. It sounds horrific. We're happy to come and rescue the day. Um, and, and the guys stewarding this were like, no, 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 it's fine. These 19-year-olds might not sound great, but the purity of their heart is like nothing we've seen before. And, and the room, the sense of God's presence, it was tangible. It like hit you. Like the smoke that was mentioned earlier, like the glory of God in that, that place. They were like, consecration really, really matters. So we've come back to London and basically said to our worship team, do you know what, we'd, we'd, we'd rather average musicians with consecrated hearts than phenomenal musicians with unconsecrated hearts. And we'd rather average communicators with consecrated hearts than unbelievable preachers with unconsecrated hearts. Consecration really, really matters. If you want to send the hill of the Lord, um, you need clean hands and a pure heart. This is what God says to, to, to Joshua, and Joshua says then to the people in Joshua 3, consecrate yourselves today. Tomorrow I'm going to do great things amongst you. And we're like, yeah, tomorrow great things. No, no, no. Today, consecrate yourself. Get ready, because tomorrow I'm going to do great things amongst you. This is a picture of the Hughes Auditorium, and I, I want to zoom in on the, um, the banner that was over the auditorium, holiness unto the Lord. 
like what we experience in that place, it was holiness, right? Like people saying, oh, younger generation don't really care about holiness. You're wrong. You're wrong. Like what we're seeing right now, and I, I, I've never experienced this in the church. I've been in ministry 20, 30 years, spiritual hunger rising, stronger sense of the manifest presence of God, and all these young people are talking about holiness and purity. Why? Because they want more of the presence. And they've learned, if you want to ascend the hill, you need clean hands and a pure heart. It matters to God. Right, here's the second thing, um, a priority of the confession of sins. Right, so what we saw at Asbury, I mean, people were queuing up, queuing up for, for prayer. And the prayer wasn't, I want to receive this gift of the Spirit, right? What they were queuing up for was to confess their sins. Like, think of that, like, queues, like, half an hour waiting just so you can have a turn to confess your deepest, darkest sins, right? So they would come to the front, um, and it wasn't like, I've been struggling with porn, and then someone does that, and then they go back, right? They would literally come to the altar rail, kneel down, it would take them half an hour normally, and they would just begin talking, and, and it would all come out. All of the, the mistakes, all of the sin, all of the struggle, like suicidal ideation, like sexual sin, it was all coming out. We spoke to this one lady, and I said, look, it's full on what's happening at the front. Like, just talk me through, like, what do you do when you pray for these young people? She says, I walk them through this journey, four simple C's, right, to help them in this moment of confession, because they've never done it before. Number one, I say, what do you want to confess? And, and normally it just it starts flowing out, just people, like, gushing out, all of the stuff. She says, number two, what I say is I want you to cancel the permission you've given to the enemy to be at work in your life. Like th These mindsets and behaviours have created an access point for the enemy to wreak havoc in your life. And you basically need to say to the enemy, I take back permission. You are not welcome to be active in my thinking, in my heart, in my body, in my being. I cancel permission. I take back the keys. You're not welcome here anymore. So confession of sin, cancel permission. Thirdly, command all darkness to go. So there was this like, we are commanding all darkness to leave and then into that empty space, come Holy Spirit. Confession of sin, cancel permission, command darkness to go, come Holy Spirit. And when these 19, 20, 21 year olds got up from the altar rail and walked back to their seats, there was joy in the room. You would thought a room of 2,000 people confessing their darkest thoughts would be a heavy atmosphere. It wasn't. It was the most joy-filled room you could imagine because when they turned back, you could see the countenance had shifted. They were glowing, radiating the glory of God, leaving their sins behind and experiencing the fullness of life that's only found in the person of Jesus. Totally, totally extraordinary. And I think what I saw in that place was a very gentle model of deliverance. And I think we in this moment that we find ourselves in the church need to discover the ministry, rediscover the ministry of deliverance. I, I think when we talk about deliverance, some people have watched too much Netflix and they're thinking of exorcisms and all of that stuff, right? So people have, have shrunk back from deliverance. But a younger generation have experienced such darkness. We can't shrink back from deliverance. We need to rediscover what deliverance looks like. What I've witnessed amongst younger pastors particularly is, is that lots of pastors are talking about spiritual formation. Lots of pastors have been ruthlessly eliminating hurry and they've slowed down. They actually need to speed up a little bit. They've, they've been desperately trying to do all this stuff around spiritual formation. Um, but let me just explain the Exodus narrative again, right? There's a moment where they hit the Red Sea and there's an act of deliverance, 
right? They don't orchestrate that moment. They don't even contribute to that moment. It's gift, it's pure grace. The waters part, and then they journey through the wilderness, encounter God at Mount Sinai. They're given the law as these guidelines to human flourishing, principles of spiritual formation, right? Um, Notice God didn't give the law to the people in Egypt. In other words, these principles will set you free. They won't. Deliverance will set you free. And what these laws will do is help you enjoy the freedom that God has won for you. The same applies to us. I've noticed young people trying to practice all these spiritual disciplines. Like I've been reading the Bible. I've been fasting in between meals. Like I, I've been doing all these different things. And, and, and I, I'm not getting free. I'm not getting free. And my response to them is the spiritual disciplines don't get you free. The blood of Jesus gets you free. It's the cross that sets you free. And what the disciplines do is help basically take the freedom that Christ has won for you and enable you to enjoy and live in that freedom. Like we need deliverance and discipleship. We need freedom and formation. And it seems the church has been banging the door, discipleship, formation, which is right. But we also need to say deliverance and freedom. And here was a model where young people were confessing their sins, experiencing deliverance and stepping into new life. And I think we need to learn from that. Thirdly, what I saw was a fresh confidence in the gospel that I saw in like two or three days, hundreds of people come to faith. Hundreds and hundreds of people come to faith. Do you know why? Because the presence of God is phenomenally attractive. Tim Keller wasn't in the room beautifully articulating the message of the kingdom and the message of salvation, right? The presence of God was thick in the room and everyone wanted it. No one needed to convince anyone of of sin. People were aware because the presence of God was so thick in the room. They're like, this is a barrier. You don't need to tell me, I feel it. This is a barrier. I want to get rid of the barrier. I'm going to confess it. And then the spirit of the living God moving in power. So lots and lots of people come to faith. And I think we need to wake up and realize there is a spiritual openness, not just in the church, but beyond the church, that's new and it's fresh. Like, as I said, people are tearing up the scripts. In London, I don't know what the stats would be here in Cape Town. Um, In South Africa, I know it's an incredibly different context, but in the context of the UK right now, which is aggressively secular, right? That's the mindset. Oh, London, wow, aggressively secular. And in many ways it is. But in 2017, some research was done of how open are people to the gospel and to the person of Jesus. And what the research came out with, and it's pretty extensive research, that one in five people are spiritually open, but more than that, they're open to an encounter with the person of Jesus right and for the church it was like oh my gosh we we thought this was an impossible task and you're telling us that if we go through the contact list on our phone 20% one in every five names is waiting for a conversation about Jesus they're open and hungry that was 2017 the research was done again 2022 and it went down to one in every three Right? So the way we've been operating as a church is no one's interested in an aggressively secular context. No one's interested. No one's interested. It's a lie. And, and the data says it's completely wrong. Like one in three of a younger generation is hungry. They're fully aware the scripts don't work and they're searching for a better story. We have to proclaim the gospel. We have to start inviting people to encounter Jesus. The hunger is present. The hunger is out there. And final thing then, What I saw at Asbury is a championing of the next generation. Like, 
this wasn't a ministry to Gen Z, right? This was the ministry of Gen Z to Gen Z. Um, and like the worship team were like 18, 19, 20 year olds. The preachers were like 18, 19, 20 year olds. The ministry is happening amongst like 18, 19, 20 year olds. Like there's something stirring in the younger generation that feels extraordinary. The hunger levels, it's, it's extraordinary. And we need to rake, wake up and recognize it. Like what I saw was a model of ministry where everyone really gets to play. Listen to this theologian who, who went to visit Asbury. He said this, there was no leader, no rival, no envy, no pride, all humility, meekness, gentle hearts, stumbling sinners, tender students serving thousands of curious visitors in their love for mercy without knowing they're doing so. It's legit. Gen Z write-offs are graciously allowing us to peek in on the surprising work of God as they serve us like priests, unconsciously dragging us into the presence of the Lord through young, redeemed, romantic hearts for God. Christ is being honoured, God is being glorified, the spirit is at liberty. The real awkward, cringeworthy gawkers are the over 40s like myself who can't put down their phones. The Z's left theirs at home. Like, there's miracles, right? Even in the Gospels, there's certain miracles. Like, like when Gen Z leave their phones at home, I'm putting that one step up from water into wine. It's not quite resurrection, but in my mind, it's one notch up from water into wine when Gen Z start leaving their phones at home. And all the 40-year-olds like me were like, this is unbelievable, let me just capture this. Let me just capture this moment, right? What, why would you need your phone when the presence of God is thick in the room? What else would you need when the presence of God is thick in the room? And these Gen Z, you know, young guys are like, sack off the phone. Don't need TikTok. Don't need social media. Everything I'm longing for is here in this room. It's the presence of Jesus. And what I saw, as I said, was a ministry where everyone was getting to play. The followers were becoming the leaders. Like Gen Z were leading. The leaders were becoming the spiritual parents. What I said earlier about we need to operate spiritual mothers and fathers, not driven towards destination but present with delight. Some of the people behind the scenes, the spiritual like mums and dads, they weren't on the stage that much at all. They were behind the stage mopping up the mess and there was quite a lot of mess. Um, plus you had the media desperately trying to get in the room to sort of like capture it all. And it was the parents behind the scenes doing like, no, no, there's something so beautiful. We don't want you to violate it by trying to capture it in a story, right? Or manipulate the story. Just let the Gen Z guys do what they're doing because the spirit of God is moving in power. So the parents were kind of helping steward and just celebrate and champion. And the spiritual parents were operating spiritual grandparents, just celebrating the grandkids like, they were there, these 80, 90-year-olds, like, just so excited. Look at what's happening. Our grandkids are encountering God and getting set free. This is unbelievable. So I guess if you're under 25 in the room, I want to say this is your time, this is your turn. Like, the extraordinary things are happening, like, across the world right now. If you're over 25, which is most of the room, here's the good news, everyone gets to play. Right, so if you've been busy leading, I'm not saying step down from leadership. Keep leading, but maybe try and function as a spiritual mum and dad too. And if you've been operating as a spiritual mum and dad too, the good news is we really need you. Like, start being a spiritual grandparent, which means not all the responsibilities on your shoulders. That, that's the mum and dad, right? You get to bring the sweets and, and have a lot of fun and celebrate the grandkids and support the parents. Like, this is a moment in the church where God's say, saying, I need the whole church to play their part. Followers are becoming leaders. Leaders are becoming parents. Parents are becoming grandparents. These are extraordinary days. So here's the summary. I do believe spring rain is falling. I do believe new wine is falling. 
and it's going to need new wineskins. And I don't think any of us know exactly what the new wineskins will look like, the ways of being and doing church. But I do think these are priorities. Consecration matters. You can't get to the top of the hill if you're not willing to say, I want a clean hand, clean hands and a pure heart. Confession of sin really matters. There's so much darkness around us and sometimes within us. We need a model of deliverance. And I think confession of sin is, is where it begins. Thirdly, a confidence in the gospel. The presence of Jesus is the most attractive thing you can ever offer to any single person, let alone Gen Z. It's happening and we need to champion the next generation. So why don't we stand? And I, I want to read this prophetic piece of writing over you because I believe this is what's happening in the church and I want to essentially pray it prophesy over Signal Church that this is a season shifting moment winter to spring the dawn might be just beginning to break the wilderness might be about to break into new life here's the word threshold moments are equally beautiful and terrifying they have the capacity to make or break the vision as you stand on the cusp of everything you've ever dared hope for, you survey the land that now lies before you, your eyes tracing the intricate shapes that settle on the horizon, too good to imagine. This is what has been stirring for so long. This has been the cry of your hearts for years, hidden deep down, but now here it is, that first glimpse of dream turned reality, within reach, right before your very eyes, so nearly there. And as you stand there at the threshold of everything you've ever dared dream about with that cocktail of excitement and fear rising in equal measure, that other voice kicks in. The one that gently tells you to step back from the threshold. It whispers to you that passing through the door will have its costs. It's too good to be true. Or even worse, what lies in front of you is all a mirage and you'd be foolish to walk through. It will disappear as soon as you enter. It's better to survey the land from the doorway, to distance yourself from it just in case, to stand at the threshold just watching. It's better to quietly let the dream die now before sacrifices are made, bridges are burned, and there's no safe way back. Threshold moments of power, Signal Church, Many see them as the end of a long journey. They finally glimpse what their hearts have longed for, but they stop exhausted and find themselves settling in the doorway to all they've hoped for, never actually crossing through and taking hold of it. Tired and exhausted, they find contentment in the reasoning that they've made it this far, that they can see it from a distance. But the truth is that these threshold moments are just the start of the adventure. They're only just the beginning. So step in. Take courage, Signal Church, and move forward. You've been called for such a time as this. Holy Spirit, come and fill this place with your presence. And just before we wait to receive, I wonder if we just begin to collectively lift our voices in prayer and intercession, asking for the Spirit to be poured out in a moment like this, that, that we essentially lift our voices in prayer to say, Lord, we want to ascend the hill of the Lord. Lord, we want to ascend the hill of the Lord. Give us clean hands and a pure heart. Be lifted up, you gates. Be lifted up, you ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty. So Lord, we're asking, would you open up the doors and would the King of glory come in and visit us with his presence as well as his power? Holy Spirit, come and fill us in this place. 
Holy Spirit, come and visit us in this place. And now let's just wait and receive. Holy Spirit, come. Spirit, come. I, I want to pray for a number of people before we land. Number one, I sense the Lord raising up within this community intercessors. People that have very little desire for profile or platform, but feel called to getting on their knees more often than not, in the hidden places and banging the floor, asking for the rains to fall, to soften the ground and prepare the ground for abundance. I, I just can sense it in the room. There's some of you that almost something's being ignited within you. of like, yes, this is what I've been longing for. Yes, I have not much desire just to celebrate stories of what's been happening in Asbury, but I want to knock on the door of heaven because I want to see this put out in Cape Town. I want to see this happening in not just the Hughes Auditorium, but this auditorium. Lord, would you come? And in a moment, we want to pray for the intercessors. Secondly, I want to pray for those that can feel hunger levels rising within them. Like what, what happens often in churches when there's a fresh wave of the Spirit, a certain group will start getting really, really hungry. And as we bless that group, as we pray and fan into flame that faith, it then spreads very quickly. So for those that feel faith levels, hunger levels rising, we want to bless that in a moment. Here's the third group. Those that feel nothing at all. It's mildly interesting hearing the story of Asbury. Maybe not even that, right? And you're like, I don't feel any of this. I feel totally dry. Here's the really good news. Dry kindling catches fire unbelievably quickly. Like, don't disqualify yourself because of spiritual dryness. Dry things catch fire very quickly. But there is a moment to say to God, God, I don't feel any of this. I feel very little excitement. But Lord, I, I do ask that you would set fire to me. That you would take this dryness and set it ablaze. So if you're in any of those three groups, there's an intercessory thing stirring within you, number one. Number two, there's a hunger that feels new and fresh in your life and it's exciting. Number three, you feel nothing at all, apart from real dryness, but you're open to catching fire. If you're in any of those camps, can you just put your hand in the air? We'd love to pray. Amazing. Okay, if your hand isn't in the air, you're a ministry team. Again, can you just find someone whose hand is in the air and just lay on a hand, you might simply want to say, what are we talking? Is there an intercessory call upon you? Is it that there's a, there's a hunger growing and I'm just going to bless that? Or is it that there's nothing, there's dryness, and I'm going to pray that you catch fire? 
So for those whose hands aren't in the air, can you just move around the room and just lay on a hand on someone's shoulder, find out what to pray for and just bless it. Spirit of the living God, move through the room. For the intercessors right now, I pray that you'd put within them like the sighs and groans that are too deep for words as as they begin to intercede with the groans of the spirit within them. Lord, teach them to pray in such a moment like this. Anoint them to stand in the gap between the outpouring in the wilderness and to contend for the waters, the spring rains to fall. Holy Spirit, come, anoint the intercessors. Anoint the intercessors. Lord, for those that just feel faith beginning to rise, excitement. Lord, I bless that now. I bless it. I pray that you'd fan it into flame. Lord, we we know that faith is small as a mustard seed and we can tell the mountains to move. Lord, I pray that you'd stir up like faith in this place, the abundance of faith, the faith that you can do whatever you want to do for the movement of your kingdom. Stir up faith in this place. Faith that cannot be held back, cannot be restrained unstoppable faith, release it. And Lord, I pray for those that feel nothing but dryness. I pray against any sense of condemnation, any sense of disqualifying themselves from what you're wanting to do in this moment. I pray that you take that dry kindling, set it on fire. Set it on fire. Holy Spirit, come. Spirit come. Spirit come. Holy Spirit come. Holy Spirit, come. Pour out your presence. We, we honor just the, the weight of your presence in this place, even right now, just the sense of your peace. Let your gentleness be evident to all the Lord is near. There's a gentleness in this place that's a sign of his presence. He's near. He's really near. Jesus, it's been such an honor to be in your presence. We think of that verse in Ephesians 4, how you give some to equip the body of Christ. And we are so grateful for this friend, this brother, this servant of Christ who has come and has equipped us for works of ministry to see the body of Christ brought to greater maturity, 
greater unity, greater effectiveness, all for the fame of Jesus in our generation. And all God's people said, amen, Amen and thank you. So my one thought is I'm so glad that we did a recording of those two sessions because you packed them in. I had a picture of one key, but I think you gave us about 17 keys. And um, as a leader of a team, hey, um, uh, we, we got our work cut out. We've got to work through these keys. So we're going to take very seriously your word. And in such a short time to transfer so much of the wisdom that God has given you in the trenches of experience um, over many years. Wow, what a, an amazing moment today has been for the effectiveness of our churches in the city of Cape Town. Thank you, those of you uh, from churches out.